0: Will you pray with me, Father? We pray that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, in order that we may know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, and your incomparably great power for us who believe. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It is a great joy to be back with you. I've been I've been traveling a lot, and um, I, I kind of consider this my home parish, even though I don't have a home parish. So it's it's just a joy to be back with you. My name is Sam, and. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I was had the privilege of being the rector of the church that David went to when he was a little boy, uh, to the extent that he was ever little. Um, uh, when he was younger, I'll put it that way. So I've known David a long, long time. When he told me I was going to be talking about Pilates, I said, I don't know that much about Pilates. Um, I have a sister-in-law who owns a Pilates studio in Winchester, and so I called her up, but then realized it was Pilate that I was supposed to be talking about, which reminded me of when I was a little kid, and shows how much we pay attention and what we think we're communicating, and uh, asked to draw a picture of the Christmas, it was Christmas season, picture of the Christmas scene, and most kids drew pictures of mangers and Christmas trees and stuff, and I drew uh, an airplane with, uh, you know, Mary Joseph, baby Jesus, and Pontius the Pilot. Um, because it was about the flight into Egypt, you know, which it made perf- perf- perfect sense to me. And I also had this big fat guy in, in, the, in the picture, and the teacher said, well, I, that makes sense in a certain way. And she said, but who's the fat guy? And I said, well, that's Round John Virgin. Um, now, none of that's true, but it makes a good story. So, um, but the rest of what I'm going to be talking about today is true. Uh, A billion people today, a billion people will stand up in church and mention the name of Pontius Pilate. Um, They will also, right next to his name in the creed, will mention the name of a poor peasant girl from an obscure village in a dusty corner of the ancient world named Mary. And so these two human beings, the only two human beings that are named in the creed, Whose name we mention every, literally every Sunday, are forever linked. As a matter of fact, the lines are right next to each other. Uh, Born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. This creed just skips over Peter and miracles and, and everything else. It just goes straight from Mary delivering Jesus into the world by birth to Jesus, I mean, to Pilate delivering Jesus to death. And so we've got these two bookend events that were made possible by two humans and their decisions. Uh, From the earliest days, the Christians uh, recognized that Pontius, that linking Jesus to Pontius Pilate was important because it linked him to history. The apostle Paul writing to Timothy says, the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession the fact is that outside of the biblical resources that we have, in other words, outside of scripture, we know more about Pontius Pilate than we do about Peter, Paul, Mary, and Jesus combined. We know a lot about Pontius Pilate because he was a very public Roman official and Romans kept good records. Philo, Josephus, Tacitus, other people mentioned Pilate. His life and his uh, character are very well documented. and uh, What we know about Pilate from the scripture is very consistent with what we know about Pilate from secular history. Uh, the name Pontius means that he came from Pontii, which is, uh, was a part of the Italian peninsula. Uh, and the uh, Pilate, Pilates... Uh, means that he was a javelin thrower, uh, apparently he was something of an athlete. He was born in 12 BC. We know that. He died um, in 38, which means that he was about 45 years old at the time of Jesus' trial. He was on uh, either at the height or sort of cresting in his career. He had achieved some importance. He ruled Judea from 26 to 38. Uh, He spent most of his time in a beautiful seaside town that, if you come to Israel with me next February 17th to the 27th, shameless plug there, we will visit Caesarea Maritima. Beautiful uh, seaside town, uh, and he spent most of his time there. Um, He hated going to Jerusalem. Uh, Caesarea Maritima was beautiful and it was Roman. obviously by the name. Uh, there are lots of towns named Caesarea in the ancient world, just like we have lots of towns named Washington. Uh, they, they wanted to be associated with that. And so Pilate would grudgingly take the 10-mile uh, trip or so from Caesarea Maritima to Jerusalem at times of, that were potentially uh, tentious. Uh, he had built right next to the temple uh, literally on the grounds of the temple, a fortress called uh, the Fortress Antonia, named after Mark Antony, and he and his 3,000 troops, or at least a portion thereof, would go there for things like Passover, because they knew that these Jews were contentious people, and they were fanatical, and, and anything might happen, so he wanted to be prepared for that, um, he was ruthless to those underneath him, and he was a sycophant to those above him. He stole money from the temple treasury to build a place called a Tiberium, which was a, a tribute to his patron Tiberius. And uh, He got the job of being the governor after Herod's son. We'll get back to Herod a little later in the sermon. He He got the job of being the governor after Herod died in 4 B.C., and his kingdom was divided up among his children. Uh, one of his children named Archelaus got Judea, did such a bad job of it that the Romans removed him and put Roman governors in his place to just sort of keep a lid on things. That was the job of the Roman governor, was to just sort of keep a lid on it. Uh, I remember my first job teaching. I, 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 did, I had a welcome back Cotter kind of class None of you here are old enough to remember Welcome Back, Cotter. but I remember going into the principal's office and saying, hi, I'm the new teacher. I was hired in the middle of the year. Uh, they'd gone through four teachers at that point already. I think I was hired because I was 6'4 and weighed about 275, and, and I was ready to discuss educational theory and you know pedagogy and all that stuff, and she just said, she cut me off, and she said, keep them in the room. That will constitute a successful year for you if you keep him in the room. And I will say to you, in all honesty, I failed. Um, I, and, um, but that was, that was Pilate's job, keep him in the room. Just sort of keep a lid on stuff. He was finally called to Rome after he just went too far in his cruelty. And under Caligula, he was forced to commit suicide. His, uh, now, interestingly, In some Christian traditions, he is considered a saint. Uh, He and his wife, Claudia, uh, revere him. He's on the calendar. I think July 15th is his saint's day, because Christians have never quite known what to do with Pontius Pilate. Uh, He he sort of is caught, as the title of the sermon indicates. He's he's trapped, and we'll talk more about that in a second. According to some traditions, which don't have much validity, which is why we don't believe them, except some churches do, later on in his life, he became a Christian. And that makes good theater and it would make a good movie. Uh, Remember his wife sent him a message saying, have nothing to do with that innocent man. I have, she she had a dream about him. Gospel of Matthew tells us that. And his wife, her name is not mentioned in scripture, but tradition tells us it was Claudia, which is kind of a pretty name you know, um, better than Gomer, which was Hosea's wife's name. So, uh, we'll go with Claudia. What the heck? Uh, and so she, and she and he are considered saints in some Christian traditions because they later on became Christians and gave a witness about Jesus in the gospel of Nicodemus, which is not in your Bible because it's bogus, but, um, there it is. It's out there. You can Google it and read it and, um, get the PDF on it. Uh, In Luke chapter 13, we see a witness even in Scripture of his cruelty. The the line is almost in passing. It says, uh, now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate has mixed with their sacrifices. And then it goes on, but it's just kind of like, huh? Uh, Wait a minute. Tell us more about that. But they don't. They just kind of, it was, it was such a given that Pilate would, would do something so cruel that it almost didn't need explication. And so here we find Jesus in front of Pilate. Um, and his job, as I said, was to maintain order, collect taxes. The Romans did not understand the Jews at all. They, they never got it. The, the Romans did not understand a fanatical devotion to a God. Romans had lots of gods and they didn't care about any of them. As a matter of fact, if you've studied your ancient history, those of you who've graduated from ninth grade, best three years of my life, uh, you remember that, that Rome basically just, they just took the whole Greek pantheon and renamed them. They, 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 they cared so little about God and theology and ultimate things. Zeus became Jupiter, Poseidon became Neptune, Aries became Mars, Aphrodite became Venus. Apollo, they didn't even bother changing his name, they just kept Apollo. Uh, that's how little they cared. And so for Romans, there was only one ultimate good. And that was power and winning. I guess that's two, but it's kind of the same thing. That, that's, that was their God. As long as they were winning, that was what they cared about. Everything else, they didn't care much about. For the Jews, they only had one ultimate good too, and that was to be, have a right relationship with the one living God. The Romans didn't get that, they didn't think theologically, and the idea of having one God, why only have one God when you can have dozens? They, it, it made no sense to them. And so you you see this for example in Acts 18 where Paul gets dragged in Corinth before the Roman magistrate whose name was Gallio when Gallio it says in Acts 18 was proconsul of Achaia the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul brought him to the judgment seat saying this fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to our law and when Paul was about to open his mouth in other words Paul's about about to say something, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be a reason why I should bear with you. Notice that, I I don't even wanna talk to you people, but if it's about a real crime, if he did something really bad, then I would at least have to listen to you. But it's a question about words and names in your own law, Look to it yourselves, for I don't want to be the judge in such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. The Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, beat him before the judgment seat. Gallio took no notice. He could not care less. So I don't, you Jews, you just go do your religious thing. As long as you keep the peace and pay your taxes, I don't want to get involved. And that was Pilate's attitude. Pilate's attitude was, look, if this is about who your God is and who's claiming to be God and all of that stuff, and it's about religious laws, and I just don't care until it starts to look like there might be a riot. And then that's when my responsibility kicks in. What is, Paul, uh, what is Pilate's most famous line, probably? What is truth? We see this in the Gospel of John, which I will read to you in just a minute. What is truth for Pilate? It wasn't conforming to some supernatural law. It was conforming to Roman law. It was winning. It was being in power. And they say, and I think it's true, having grown up in this area, if if your God is money, you want to live in New York, New York City. If your God is fame, you want to go live in Hollywood. If your God is power, you want to live in Washington, D.C. If your God is winning and being on top, this is the place for you. And so in many ways, this is a lesson for us. Pilate worked for the government. Pilate's primary focus was pleasing the people above him, suppressing the people below him, and maintaining his position so that maybe he could move up from a GS-75 to a GS-78 or whatever it is. I don't know. I know that there are a lot of GS-78s sitting out there, so I don't mean to pick on you. But in the short term, the reality was that Pilot, and we need to remember this, Pilot had absolutely nothing to gain in this situation by doing the right thing. Every force in his life was pushing him to do the wrong thing. He was getting pressure from above. His bosses were leaning on him to do the wrong thing. In other words, keep order at any price. He was getting pressure from below. The the Jews and their sort of Sanhedrin and stuff were saying, this guy's making trouble from us. He was getting pressure from his wife which is perhaps the most pressure of all, to say, you need to back out of this one, Pontius. You know, if, if, if ever there was a hot iron you don't want to touch, this is it. He was getting pressure from the clock because it was coming up on Passover. He already had two crucifixions scheduled for that afternoon. Remember, there were two guys crucified with Jesus And he knew that crucifixion was a slow, agonizing death. And he knew he had to get those people up on that cross and down from that cross before sunset or he would have a riot on his hands from the Jews. So he was looking at the clock. He was thinking about the boss. He was thinking about the people that were underneath him. He was under enormous pressure to get this thing resolved. And I'm sure many of you can identify with what it feels like to work in that kind of an environment where you're getting pressure from the top, pressure from the bottom, and pressure from the clock, and you're just trying to balance everything and get it done. And that was Pilate's situation. I was in Jerusalem one time, and um, uh, if you, when you go to Israel with me, February 17th to the 27th, um, one of the things that you will doubtless see as you walk the old streets of Jerusalem—they're very narrow. They're not a whole lot wider than that aisle. Um, and a couple times an hour, you will see a crucifixion—you know, a mock crucifixion. Pilgrims from who knows where will be will be taking a cross, and they'll be singing, and they'll be you know r- walking the Via Dolorosa. And there's always a crowd, and what you have to do in that situation is you have to sort of plaster yourself against the wall so that the crowd can get by, or you have to duck into a store, which the storekeepers love uh but you basically you have to get out of the way and I remember the guide I was standing next to the guide when one of these came by, and it was like, "Oh gee, here we go and he he said, "Oh my gosh, another crucifixion i mean that was and then he he said You know, and I realized that that was was Pilate's day. Here's another crucifixion. Got two already. Here's number three. Next week, there'll be some more. The week before that, there were some more before that. This one was a little special because the Jewish leadership got involved, but it was, like I said, it was just another one. And Pilate was just trying to get it over with. Now, I'm going to read from the Gospel of John. They had led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. That's about a 12-minute walk. Caiaphas' house sits in a high place. Christ Church, which is where we'll be staying February 17th, um, in their guest house, sits right on top of where Caiaphas' house was, right inside the Jaffa Gate. It's about a 12-minute walk to Fortress Antonia. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's quarters. These are the Jews, so that they would not be defiled. Notice they're really scrupulous about that. They're getting ready to kill Jesus, but they don't want to be defiled by going into a Gentile's house so that they could not eat at the Passover. So Pilate went outside and said, what accusation? What's going on here? Why'd you get me up? What's, what's happening? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. In other words, well, you know he's a bad guy because we brought him. Pilate said, take him yourselves, judge him by your own law. In other words, he's doing what Galileo did. He said, I don't want to get involved. Get him out of here. If if he didn't steal money or or kill somebody or something like that, that's not my job. That's your job. The Jews said to him, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what death he was to die. So obviously they want this guy killed. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, "Are you the King of the Jews?" That was in the Gospel of of um, Mark that was read earlier. Jesus answered, "You say it on your own accord. or Others tell you about me." Pilate said, "Am I a Jew? I don't care. This is not my religion. It's not my issue." Your own nation and chief priests delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said to him, okay, you're a king? Jesus answered, you say I'm a king, and for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? In other words, ultimate relativism. Truth is power. I win, I've got the power here, that's the truth. That's all the truth you need to know, okay? I'm in charge, you're in chains, I'm the governor. What do you mean, what is truth? Truth is, I can do with you anything I want. That's truth, and that's all the truth you need. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews, and for the first time out of three, says, I find no fault in him. And then he gives them the Barabbas thing and, and, and says, look, I can, I can let him go. Uh, we've got a law, you guys, if you want me to let Barabbas go. And by the way, I'm, you know, I'm sure David has mentioned that Barabbas means son of the father, Bar, Abba. Um, you got two sons of the father there. That's a great sermon. Um, we're not going to go there. Then Pilate took Jesus, had him flogged. Soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, arrayed him in purple robe. That was called the Game of the Kings. You can still go there. We'll go there. Aprils, And you'll see it etched in the, in the concrete. They would play little games with the prisoners. And, and Pilate thought, well, maybe if I have him beat up, you know, the clock is ticking. I got to get this thing moving. You know, maybe if I just beat him up and bring him out, then they'll be okay with that. They came to him saying, hail king of the Jews. Pilate went out and said to them, see, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know for the second time. I find no fault in him. Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns, purple robe. Pilate said to them, "H.A. Homo, behold the man. There's an ark there that you'll pass under. And that's called the H.A. Homo ark. Behold the man. Here he is. What do you want me to do with him? Let's just let, let's just let him go. Come on. I got enough going on. When the chief priest and the chief officer said to him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, take him yourself and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. Third time. There's nothing that he's done that breaks the Roman law. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. Notice that line. Pilate, John is, is pointing out, Pilate, He's starting to get a little scared here because he senses that there's something going on here that's bigger than the normal craziness. And there's nothing that an upper-level person hates more than being out of control and sensing that there's something going on that they don't have their finger on. And he gets afraid. He starts to think, maybe this... Maybe this isn't the normal thing. Maybe I need to pay a little bit more attention. He didn't know about Jews, and he didn't understand them, but he knew that at that point, his myopic focus on power came head-to-head with their myopic focus on serving the one true God. And he said, I got to start paying attention here. I got to start listening up until he entered the headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? Jesus gave him no answer. And in the gospel of Mark, it said, Pilate was amazed. Amazed. Why? Because I'm sure Pilate was used to people kissing up to him and saying, I'll do anything. Please don't kill me. You know, what, what do you need me to say? What do you need me to do? I'm so sorry. I can't believe it. Please, 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 please begging on their knees. I'm sure that's what Pilate was used to. And yet Jesus just says, you have no power. You have no power over me that God didn't give you. I'm not afraid of you. And if there's one thing a person in that position doesn't want to hear, it's, I'm not afraid of you. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. The Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. The magic words, everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the stone pavement. At that point, he washes his hands. Remember that scene, they bring out a bowl. Pilate very publicly says, listen, I'm doing this for you, but this isn't on me, okay? This is on you guys. I don't really care that much. Another crucifixion is another crucifixion. I got two already on the hill. This will be the third. And I'm washing my hands of it. It's on you. And they said, fine, let it be on us. So, Pilate turns it over. Now, I want to say three things about this in closing. In the end, Pilate did what his wife wanted. He washed his hands. He said, I don't want anything to do with this. It's on you. She said, have nothing to do with that innocent man. He said, OK, I won't have anything to do with it. I'm just going to wash my hands of it. Martin Luther King died 58, what, 51 years ago this last week. Um, I remember it very well. I was in high school at Thomas Jefferson High School, right down the street, back before you had to be smart to go there. Um, now they won't even let me drive by. You know, they. they, they They checked my IQ, and I can't even go down Braddock Road at that point. In his letter from the Birmingham jail, he said this, First, I must confess that over the last few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klan, but the white moderate who is, note, more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. That was Pilate. I want peace, I need peace. It's my job to keep the peace. And if it takes killing an innocent man, I'll kill an innocent man. I've done it before, I'll do it again. Because my goal is to keep the peace. It's not justice. It's the absence of conflict. That's point number one. Point number two, in the end, as we say every Sunday, a billion people stand up and link two human lives together. Two humans, a poor young girl from a defeated people in an occupied country from a nowhere town in a dusty corner of the world gets the message that God wants to do something in her life. And like Pilate, she had absolutely no incentive to do the right thing. If she said yes to God, she would be in for a lifetime of derision, eye rolls, people doubting. Oh, oh, you're the girl who thinks she got pregnant by God. Right, yeah, tell me about that. If she said yes to God, She knew that someday she would have to watch her son die a horrible death. There was absolutely nothing in it for her except that it was the right thing to do. She could very easily have said no and gone on to an obscure life, perhaps of happiness, who knows, instead of misery. And you've got, on the other hand, a 45-year-old, powerful, well-connected man at the height of his career, a representative of the most powerful nation in the world, and he also had absolutely nothing to gain by doing the right thing, except that it was the right thing. One of them said yes to God, said, yes, let it be to me as you have said. The other one said, no, I'm going to submit to the pressures from above, the pressures from below, the, the pressure of time. I'm just going to give in, do, the, do what I know to be the wrong thing, but at least I'll be home for dinner. I don't know if this is striking home to any of you, but this strikes home to me in a very personal way, because I make those kinds of decisions every day. I don't actually send Jesus to the cross literally, but there are many ways in which I make that same choice. I know what's right, but it's painful. I know what's wrong, but it's expedient. And all too often, I confess to you now, I choose the expedient and the wrong instead of the right. And finally, Pilate tried to wash his hands. He literally did. He tried to make it somebody else's decision. And here we are today, a billion people will remember him with sadness and scorn, washing hands is not an option when it comes to Jesus. Maybe you're here today because somebody said, I think we ought to go to church. And you said, I'll let that be your decision. I'll go with you. Maybe you're here today because somebody said, hey, I, this really means a lot to me. And you said, eh, I, got, you know, I got things to do. I got, jo- I got pressure above, pressure below, time pressure, but I'll try to squeeze it in. But this is your decision, not mine. Jesus doesn't make that an option. You know, in the end, Herod was right. I said we'd come back to him. Herod understood who Jesus was better than any of the disciples. Remember King Herod? King Herod said, if that guy is who he claims to be, we only have two choices. We either got to worship him or kill him. That's it. You can't wash your hands and say it's somebody else's decision. If Jesus really is who he says he is, you got two choices. You either worship him or kill him. Right down the street at the Virginia Seminary, a guy named Phillips Brooks was a student there. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've heard that name or not, but I went to Virginia Seminary. And the big central building is called Aspen Wall Hall. You can't go up there now without per- special permission. But um, you used to be able to go up to the very top of Aspen Wall Hall and look down at the little city of Alexandria, which at that point was just a little... Port City, little town. And uh, Phillips Brooks would climb up there and look down at that little town, maybe while he was taking a break from studies at Virginia Seminary or whatever. And I'm almost positive that in his mind, when he wrote that incredible carol, he was thinking of that sight that he had seen so many years ago looking down on the little town of Alexandria, when he wrote these words, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Mary, Pilate, same choice, May God give us the grace on a daily, hourly basis to choose Mary's path. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. Amen.